Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, September 6th, 2015. May God use this as a blessing to you today. I have a $20 bill right here. Um, And my question to you is, who wants this? It's going to go somewhere. Um, Four Starbucks or uh, two meals for 20 bucks. Nobody else wants it? Just a couple of people? Come on, play along. Play along. All right, all right. There you go. All right, what if I do this to it? Do you still want it? I checked. That was not against the law. Um, What if I do this to it? I did go step outside, and you don't know how many germs are out there, and they're on my shoe, and now it's on the $20 bill. Do you still want it? Why? Why do you still want it? Because it's still $20, and it still has value. Now, this is going to go somewhere, just not to you, and I will let you know where this goes at the end of the message today. But here's the thing, folks. No matter how much life tramples on you, get the point? You still have value. God still values you. God still loves you, knows you. God knows you. Trust me, God knows those thoughts. But God still loves you. Sees the very inner core of who you are. The number one, one of the number one needs that we have as human beings is to be seen, right? Completely vulnerable by another human being or by God and to still be desired, loved, needed. Well, God doesn't need us, but God still loves us. And that is the message for today. Eyes to see. God can see you. The inner core of who you are. And God doesn't just... That's not all. (laughs) There's a part one and a part two. God wants... uh, God sees you and God wants to give you eyes to see other people the way God sees them. So, the best example of how God does this is in scripture. John... Nine, And I welcome you to pick up a Bible if you would like, or it's going to be on the screen as well. John 9, 1 through 12. Join me in prayer. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock, who is our rock and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, we invite you here, knowing that you have already come. Give us ears to hear your word. Give us eyes to see the way you see. Soften our hearts. Challenge us. In Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, John 9, 1 through 12. And starting at verse 1. And I love, I love this first verse. I could preach on this one verse probably for six months. (laughs) But we're not going to do that today. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. There was a man who was blind in the corner of the neighborhood that has been there probably for a very long time, if not from birth, 
uh, probably soon after, right? The moment their, his parents figured out that he's going to be blind, we got to put him on the street to get some money so that he, um, we have some food and that kind of thing. He's been in the corner. He's been in the neighborhood. Everybody has walked by this man a hundred times. But for some reason, this day, even though the man did not cry out for Jesus, could not even see Jesus walking by, this day, Jesus, walking along, saw a man blind from birth. He saw him, recognized him, understood him, took a moment to acknowledge him, and by acknowledging him, said, I see your humanity, and I'm in solidarity with your humanity. And his disciples, that were just right there all along, decided to get into a theological debate, like his disciples often do. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So there was a belief then, and probably still a belief today, that if something is wrong, if somebody has cancer, if they're suffering, that somebody did something wrong and the God or God is punishing this person. I've heard this so many times in my office. What did I do wrong? Why me, pastor? What did I do wrong? What do I need to apologize for that God is allowing this kind of suffering in my life? And of course, my response to that is, is, there, is that there's nothing that you, you could have done or that you've done because God doesn't work like that. Suffering exists in this world because it just exists. Now, my mom, as you all might know already, but I will let you know again, is going through cancer, second rounds of chemo, she's doing well. But I remember one of the first questions that I asked when I was wrestling with God is why her? <laughs> because my mom is probably the most amazing, I'm sure we all think our moms are amazing, but I think my mom is the most amazing godly woman that has ever lived on the face of this earth, and she loves God with her whole entire being, yet here she is suffering. Why her? Was this payment? I mean, does not make any sense. And the response that I got, which wasn't always it isn't always the best response, but here it is. Why not her? Why is your mom any more valuable than everybody else in the world? Why is cancer something that somebody else experiences? Why not her? And that's the truth. My mom, like everybody else, belongs to God. God loves everybody else, just like my mom. My mom is not any more valuable than everybody else, even though she's more valuable to me personally. But this is how Jesus responds as well to his disciples. Jesus answered in verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This is not karma that he's paying off. It's not, we cannot understand why they're suffering in this world. It just is. And he continues to say he was born blind, So that God's works might be revealed in him. So that, I'm going to paraphrase for you because this is a misinterpreted passage. So that God can be seen in him. 
There's something about suffering that draws us to the feet of Jesus. (laughs) There's something about suffering that makes us cry out and say, God, where the heck are you? (laughs) And the moment we ask those questions, God, where are you? Is when our ears open up and God says, I've been here. And we can hear. In suffering, Jesus is saying here that God can be revealed in this man, through this man, to the community. And here is what else Jesus says. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And this is the truth. The truth is, uh, there's a practical truth, right? Before electricity, you cannot work at night. You cannot work by candlelight. Very difficult to do. Um, all that got switched around when electricity entered into the world. All of a sudden, people are staying up all, all night long. I'm a night owl, so <laughs> that's me. Um, but Jesus is also saying here a spiritual truth. The spiritual truth is that when people are in darkness... There's chaos. We need the light of Jesus to come pierce that darkness. We need people who are in the light when we're in darkness. I want you to hear this, folks. When we're in darkness, we need people in the light, in the light of Christ, to come and illuminate God's love for us. And Jesus says this in verse 5. As long as I am in the world... I am the light of the world. That Jesus comes and brings light into our chaos. That Jesus comes and brings light into our suffering. Because suffering without hope is bad news. We will all suffer. But the promise here is that our suffering will be with hope. When we have the light of Christ in our lives... We can raise our head and we can say, I can take another step. I can breathe another breath. I can move on. There is hope. God is here. Verse 6. When he had said this, Jesus said the most peculiar thing. He spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud around on the man's eyes. I read this and I thought, this is very odd. And kind of gross, considering spit and mud and dirt. This is not a clean thing. And I was trying to think why Jesus would do this peculiar thing. Spit on the ground, get the mud together, and put it on somebody's eye. Now, as I was thinking about this, I thought about all the folks that swear by these mud baths. Some people go to these spas and put mud all over their body. I've never done this. It sounds wonderful. We should plan a spa day. (laughs) Uh, That's our next church activity, Karen. It sounds wonderful. Mud day. (laughs) Um, And it has medicinal cleansing, healing components to it. Also, there's this thing as a facial, right? Like people... Some of us uh, put this stuff on our face, and then it hardens, right? And then it's supposed to, like, help with our, I don't know, cleanse our face or help us feel more beautiful or whatever it does. And then you wash it off. 
This is this feels to me kind of like the same thing. And as I was digging through this, the commentaries to figure out why would Jesus do this, I ran into something very peculiar as well. That healing of blind men, these stories of healing of blind men, were engraved all over the ancient world. That this was an important type of healing that was important in the ancient world, specifically on sanctuary sites and religious sites and so forth. And this is one of the engravings I'm going to read to you today. To the blind soldier, Valerius Apris, the god commanded by an oracle to come and take the blood of a white rooster. That sounds grosser than mud. (laughs) To mix it with honey and I salve and to spread it on his eyes for three days. And he recovered his sight and came and presented an offering of thanksgiving to the gods. Now, this was a sign that the divine had come and interacted with humans. This healing of the blind. How appropriate for Jesus. The one called God incarnate, the one called the Messiah, the one who came to be the light of the world, depicting to the world that he is in fact God here on earth by engaging in this miracle. Does this make sense? Are you putting the, are you piecing the connection here? Jesus, it was important for Jesus in that context to show the world that he was God incarnate through this kind of healing miracle. Not that he didn't love the blind man, but it was a healing that needed to happen in that context. And so this is what Jesus did. He humbled himself, got on the dirt, right? Humbled himself before this blind man. And just like God in Genesis 1, he took the dirt and formed new creation. In Genesis 1, we see God taking dirt, which is in Hebrew, Adama, and creating Adam, Adam, first humanity. Jesus takes dirt, which was probably kind of like a soft clay, molds it in his hand, and creates a new life for this blind man. And some commentaries also say that this was a depiction when, when the clay hardened over his eye. It probably was a depiction of the hardness of her own heart. And see, this is what Jesus tells him after he puts the mud, the clay on his eye in verse 7, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of psyllium, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. When our hearts are hardened, God's spirit comes, washes us clean, and God creates uh, an ability for us to be able to see. Spiritually, be awakened to God's love, see other human beings the way God wants us to see the other human beings. This pool is very special. In fact, it sits... On the bottom of the hill where the temple resides. If you can imagine, the temple sits on this hill and the water that comes from the mountain comes down into the pool. And folks would say 
the blessings overflow from the temple down into the city, into the pool. And so him actively engaging in his healing, right? He took a step towards the healing that God had for him. And then, all of a sudden, the neighbors acknowledged him. They they saw him for the first time. It's like they had never seen him before. In verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, um, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? We swear we've seen this person before. He seems so familiar. Some were saying it is he. Others were saying no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. (laughs) I am the man. (laughs) See me, see me, see that I was blind and now I can see. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? And he explains to them, he answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siliam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. Simple enough. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Where is Jesus? Do we know where Jesus is? This week... I've been wrestling with many things, but one thing I've been wrestling with specifically is the Syrian crisis. It's very hard to avoid when it's gone viral everywhere and everybody has comments and thoughts about it. Uh, It's been going on for four years, this uh, civil war. ISIS has been a part of that crisis for a very long time. Um, I came to find out this week that 11 million people were displaced from their homes because of violence. I cannot even imagine going to my house and then it was all on fire (laughs) and then having to go somewhere else to go live. And a part of that crisis has been not only the civil war, but also child soldiering and chemical warfare and just, it's just a mess. And it's been a bit faceless for me, like this random awfulness that's happening over there. And all of a sudden, we see this image of the three-year-old that washed on the shores of Turkey. Uh, his name was Alien, Alien Kurdi. Three years old. He was um, trying with his father, his mother, and his brother to go from Syria to Turkey, from Turkey to Greece, and then end up in Canada where his uh, uh, aunt lives. And the sad thing about this is all of a sudden, this faceless awfulness that's happening in Syria all of a sudden had a face, this child. And the world, the world responded by trying to memorialize this event and trying to comment about how awful this event is. Um, They've created pictures that have gone viral um, of this child. And I want to show you some of these to see, to show you that the world is saying, this is no more unseen. 
Um, these are not too graphic, but if there are any young children, you're welcome to take them out of the service. Here's one of the pictures. of this young boy and the comment on the bottom of this is hell is the reality we are living in here's another picture the comment on twitter is how his story should have ended so there's an outcry of people saying enough is enough here's a picture of a paper sailboat And uh, this last one says, don't let compassion drown. And the tweet here is, I'm sorry, I'm ashamed. I will not turn a blind eye. So what now? I've been in a conversation with folks this week about this. And there's been so many distinct uh, thoughts about this. Um, There's those who are feeling compassion and overwhelmed by this and feeling horrified because this could be their child. And, of course, they feel um, like they can't do much about it because it's still a crisis that's happening over there. There are other folks who responded with, why are you telling me about this? Have I not? I'm going through my own crisis. I don't have the energy to think about how other people are suffering because I'm dealing with my own crisis right now. Uh, My response to that comment isn't a bad one. I think it's a valid point that sometimes it's too overwhelming to even consider how other people are suffering when people are dealing with their own pain and their own lives and trying to sort through their own stuff. There is a a TV personality by the name of Katie Hopkins who, I'm not sure if you all know who she is, but she wrote this, no, I don't care. Show me pictures of coffins, show me bodies floating in water, play violins, and show me skinny people looking sad. I still don't care. I watch a lot of TED Talks. Um, TED Talks are ideas worth spreading. Uh, Scientists and all sorts of different inspiring people do these TED Talks online. And there was a man by uh, the name Donald Huffman. He is a cognitive scientist, and he's doing research about eyesight and what we as humans really see. And his question is, do we see what is real? Are we able as human beings in our eyesight see what's actually happening? And so he did all this research, and he came up with, well, he was explaining exactly how eyesight worked and I'm going to try to do this. I'm not a scientist, but bear with me. So eyesight, from my understanding, is your eyeball takes snapshots, like a camera, of what's in front of it. But then most of the work is connected to your brain. And so the picture that you receive goes to your brain, and your brain tries to process what you're seeing. And so this researcher... Um, the scientist, uh, Donald Huffman, proposes that our brains, because they're, they've, they've tried to survive, their instinct is to survive, 
that most people will only be able to see what helps them survive. So in some ways, human beings are not even able to see what's real in reality if it does not help them uh, expand their survival. And you can go on and uh, listen to him talk for 20 minutes and explain this a little better than I would. And so this got me thinking. Our human nature is to preserve life and to preserve ourselves. It's natural to have a pushback against this crisis, these images. It's natural for us as, as uh, mammals who are trying to survive and to, to uh, not go extinct, to not be able to see or be able to uh, fully conceptualize these these horrific events that are happening on the other side of the world. It is natural. I'm not saying it's an excuse. <laughs> I'm saying it's natural. But this is, this is the truth, folks. Jesus comes to see us. He sees us fully for who we are, not because of what we offer Christ, not because Jesus needs us. God, we belong to Jesus. We are his children. And everybody else is his children as well. That boy that died on the shores is his child as well. Those folks, those refugees that are running across uh, these borders so that they can find safety for their families, they're God's children as well. And I believe with all my being that the Spirit, what the Spirit does is that it softens our hearts so that not only can we are able to see these crises that are happening across the world, but we can allow ourselves to feel the pain for them, knowing that it's not necessarily our burden, but it's Christ who saves. You see this, you see this balance here? Yes, we are charged to do something about this. And uh, this $20 bill is actually going to go to UMCOR, United Methodist Committee on Relief, that's going to help um, those refugees who are in the middle of this crisis. And that's something that we can do. But here's the thing. We trust in a God who is actively working in that area as well, who loves those children and those families as well. And we know that United Methodist Committee on Relief, they're, they're in collaboration with organizations like International Blue Crescent and International Orthodox Christian Charities, International Relief and Development, and Global Medic. And they're helping those refugees there on the ground. I cannot be there because I'm here. You are not there because you're here. But Christ does call us to feel pain for them. Christ does call us to allow our hearts to be softened. Christ does call us to do as much as we can to help them. And you're invited as we do communion in a little bit to come forth and give to UMCOR if God so calls you to do so in these baskets up front. The Lord wants us to move beyond just being self-centered. Yes, God sees us. May we become aware of the hardness of our own hearts 
which keeps us from seeing God. Where is Jesus? The people ask, where is Jesus? Well, I'll tell you, Jesus stands in solidarity with those who are hurting. Jesus stands in solidarity with those who are unseen. May we see those people who are hurting. And may we also know that we are the light of the world in Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you knowing that we are your children. We are your church. Thank you for that privilege, oh God. Thank you, oh God, for awakening us, for being the God who loves us, who sees us for who we are, who does not trample on us, oh God, but you raise us up. Give us, oh Lord, soft hearts to be able to respond in, in, the, in the best way we can to the suffering that's not necessarily here but over there, oh God. Give us eyes so that we can see those folks like your children. In Christ we pray. Amen.